Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Good morning. Welcome to FaithBridge. So glad that you are here. If you are on the Klein campus in Centercourt East or Centercourt West, if you're at the Woodlands campus, if you're online, however it is that you're here, we're really glad that you're here. So before Ben Stewart comes out to bring us God's word in just a moment, let me, in the spirit of transparency, give you a little third quarter update. Any number of you have said, really appreciate these quarterly updates that you're giving on our generosity and our giving. It just kind of helps us to feel included, like what's exactly going on. Appreciate your being transparent, especially after 2015, which was a rough year uh, for, our, for our church and for many churches um, in this current economy, certainly in the Houston area. But 2016, we came in with a, an adjusted budget, and you'll remember when all the bills were paid at the end of the first quarter, and all the ministries were funded, and all the missionaries taken care of, we actually had $4,000 extra. To use business terms, we were $4,000 in the black, and so we said, praise the Lord. We went into the second quarter, and the news got even better, because we finished that quarter two hundred and sixty thousand dollars in the black so how did the third quarter go well i'll show you right here you see the line that goes across the screen that line represents our total budget that is certainly everything that happens on the klein campus that's the woodlands campus that's our bridging for tomorrow ministries uh, that's our international uh, missionaries that's all of our staffing that's our kids ministry our youth ministry and on and on and on the whole thing Okay, you'll see as you look at the 13 weeks of the third quarter, we met or surpassed budget three of those Sundays. The others, we fell beneath. That means we finished the third quarter up by $120,000. So you'll see we're up on the year. We're down from the second quarter because we had to eat into some of that progress that begs the question, why did it go down? I think the simplest explanation is third quarter includes your summer months. That's the summer slump. That's when people take their family trips, go out of town, take their travels, uh, and they tend to take their wallets with them when they go out of town. And so uh, the good news about that is uh, people come back. We're back in our rhythm in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarters are always typically um, a strong quarter and so but, but while I'm thinking about it that does remind me just to emphasize how important every single week is every week matters and every single gift matters whether it's a big gift whether it's a small gift they're all adding up and they they matter um, as we go week to week which also reminds me, I want to say thank you to the many of you who've signed up. You do your giving electronically, online, automated, and that just really helps so much because whether you're in town or not, it happens in a predictable way, which helps an organization like ours that's 100% dependent on donations. And I want to invite you and challenge any number of you who haven't signed up for that way and you're still using an old-fashioned checkbook and that's all right, that's okay, but if you would prayerfully consider signing up and being a part of the online, e even better. So you can ponder that. 
Last week, if you were here, you know, we talked about how we are the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world, and we talked about how uh, the Christian church has to move towards the darkness, towards despair, towards hopelessness, towards cynicism, and throughout Christian history, that's what Christians do. We move where all of that is. We don't retreat from it. Some people think we're kind of in a time like that right now in our nation. There's a lot of despair, a lot of cynicism, a lot of hopelessness. This is no time for retreat, friends. This is where we who follow Jesus have to realize we have the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. We've got the gospel. We've got to move forward, not retreating, but advancing. And so I want to invite you, I want to challenge you, especially as we go towards the end of the year here, to consider and prayerfully uh, consider being as generous as you can be. To the many of you who already are doing that, I say thank you. To some of you who are in between jobs, I want to assure you this is no guilt trip for you right now. Hang in there uh, while you're in between, praying for you. To those of you who are hearing me right now and you kind of tuned me out because you're saying, well, you know, I only come here about five or ten times a year, maybe 15, maybe 20. Um, he's talking to his people who come 52 Sundays out of 52 Sundays the whole year. Let me assure you, those people don't exist anymore, not with all the traveling that happens uh, with people having jobs here and there and sports here and there. And there. If you come 5, 10, 15, 20 times a year, I'm talking to you. I need your help, and I'm going to invite you to step into what's going on as we seek to make more and stronger disciples for Jesus Christ to make more and stronger disciples for Jesus Christ. So you be generous, too, as the Lord blesses you, remembering that to whom much has been given, he says, much will be required. So I'll ask you um, to consider prayerfully being generous around here as well. Ben Stewart needs little introduction at FaithBridge. He was our youth pastor for the first five years of our church, went on to have a powerful ministry in College Station at Breakaway for 11 years, now is anchored at the Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia, where he's preparing to launch out and start a new Passion City Church probably in 2018. It's always, though, a joy to welcome him back to FaithBridge and to hear God's word from him is just always a treat. So why don't we welcome Ben Stewart right now. Hey. All right. Howdy. Good to see you guys. Okay. All right. They don't howdy you like that in Georgia. It's crazy. Okay. It's good to see you guys. Good to be here. Uh, if you have a Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, we're going to bounce around in it, so I won't read it all now. But if you want to turn in a Bible, that's where we'll be. Uh, and uh, I'll pray for a minute and we'll jump in. But I just wanted to say before we begin, I, just, uh, I said it in the first service and then just watching the video again, I just think it's worth repeating that um, I love Ken Werlein and uh, I want the world to know because I just go, man, like making complex ideas simple is hard and bringing clarity when issues are cloudy is hard. And when you have a leader that can do that and do it with the graciousness that Ken can, you have a rare human being. And so it's been one of the great privileges of my life to be mentored by that man. And so watching that video again, just so grateful for him. And uh, I hope you are too, because you got a, you got a great pastor. So love Ken Werlein. Hope you love him. Uh, love coming back here. Grateful to be here. So 1 Corinthians 15, if you got it, let me pray for it. And uh, we'll jump in and talk about uh, death. So, 
Lord, uh, I want to thank you for this moment to, to gather around your word together. And I want to thank you for every person uh, with us, um, those that are here and just love gathering like this and reading your word together. And those who maybe this is a new experience or they're not sure how to feel about it or maybe not that excited about it. Uh, wherever we land, I just say thank you that we're here. And uh, I just want to ask you, God, to please use these next few minutes to help us um, understand life better than we do now. I, I pray we'd walk out wiser than we are now. I pray we'd walk out with more hope than we have now. Uh, I pray we'd walk out um, knowing you, our maker, better than we do even right now sitting in our chair. And I just, I want that, God. And so I'm asking you if you'll give that to us while we talk about your word. Give us an honest encounter with you. And I want to ask you guys, if you're willing, to just take a minute and, and you pray and ask him. Say, God, please teach me something right now. Uh, and then if you would, please pray for me, that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start this morning a two-week series on death. And some of you may say, well, Ben, this doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you just turned 40, does it? Uh, and I would say, no, no, it's not about that at all. Uh, honestly, as I was coming here, I'm like, what are we going to talk about? It's like, well, either death or the election, and uh, death just seemed less depressing. So uh, I want to talk about death. Uh, but some of you may go, well, there's like a series on death? Like, Ben, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I can't wait to invite my friends. Like, uh, Bobby should really hear this one. Like, no, why would you do this? Well, for a couple reasons, and I'll tell you why. Number one is because we're all going to face it, all of us. And so in all seriousness, uh, two weeks ago, I, had, I, I attended the funeral of my father. And I uh, want to say thank you to those of you who reached out to us and supported us. I'm grateful for that. But I remember sitting there at one point at the funeral with a friend of mine who's about my age. And he said, he said we've arrived at that moment, haven't we? He said, well, we're going to start attending more funerals and weddings. And I said, yeah, I think that's the window we're in. And I'm having that experience, I think a lot of you have had, where your thoughts about death and what happens next increase with every person you send off to the other side. Because you go, it's not an abstract theory anymore. I know people. I know people that, are, that, are, that have gone there, and then some of you go, well, where are they? And how am I supposed to feel at the funeral of a person I know? What am I supposed to say that's not cheap and hollow when I face the inevitability of death like that? All of us are going to face it with family and friends, and I don't want you to be in that situation where you go, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to feel. we got to get some ideas around this because we're all going to face it, and we're all going to experience it. i got news for you there. Death's coming for us all, Right? 100% of us, right? Death ratios, what it's always been, one per person. It's coming. And in our culture today, we don't like to talk about it. Like, we would just rather not talk about it. Like, in, in the early days in America, the cemetery was in the middle of town. You thought about the brevity of life every single day. Now, we don't know where the cemeteries are. You're like, I think it's on the freeway. I don't know. Like, I know where the mall is. That's in the center of my community. Uh, but not the, you got to get the cemetery out of there. We don't like to think about it. But I've met with more and more people that when they arrive at the hospital and realize this might be it, they realize they haven't spent much time thinking about a very weighty and significant reality. 
And I don't want you to show up at that moment unprepared. I really don't. I want us to have things to think and things to say, things to know when death comes for us. And just the third practical reason why are we even talking about this is because our thoughts on death influence how we live. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest thinkers ever produced by America, wrote that in his great resolutions. He said, resolved to think often of my death and the common circumstances that attend death. And you say, why would he write that? That's so depressing and weird. Well, I think he was taking a cue from Moses because Moses said it. We are like grass that appears in the morning and in the evening we wither and fade away. And then Moses said, so Lord, teach us to number our days aright that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. Knowing our life will end should influence the way our life is lived, right? It has significance. And so we're looking this morning at 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking to them about death and is there something after death, a resurrection, a new life after the death. And he says, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then even Jesus Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching's in vain and your faith is in vain. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's talking about people that gather like this to worship Jesus. And he said, if there's nothing beyond the grave, if the grave really is the end, if there's no eternity beyond it, then he said, what we're doing right now is vain. It's a waste of time. He said, if death really is the end, we shouldn't be here. You should be having brunch right now. You should be in bed still. This is a waste of your time. And then he'll say it later. He'll say, if the dead are not raised, let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. He said, if death really is the end and there's nothing beyond us, then ultimately what we do in life doesn't matter. So just eat as much as you can, drink as much as you can, sleep with whoever you can, and then you'll die and go away. And morality means nothing. Why be nice to you if you're nothing that becomes nothing? Why? There's no basis for morality if death is the end. But if death is not the end, if death is the doorway into an eternity, then everything we do in this life is shot through with meaning. And so we got to figure out what we think about death because it's going to affect the way we live. And so I'm not going to exhaust the subject today. I'm not going to beat death to death. Uh, I just want to cover four points today, and then we'll pick up and clarify some issues next week. But the four points I want to come at, here's the first one. And number one is this, death is an enemy. Death is an enemy. So you've heard people say it. Well, you know, death is, is just a part of life. What? No. No, death is not a part of life. Death is the opposite of life. Death is the antithesis of life. That's the definition of death. What is death? The absence of life. So death isn't a part of life. Death is the opposite of life. So it's not a part. It couldn't be more different, right? And so the reality is death is an enemy to us. Why? Because it takes life and we love life. We do. We love to be alive. I mean, even think about funerals. When, when you go to a funeral, what pictures do they put up on the screens? Picture them in the hospital bed? No. When a celebrity dies, what pictures do they put up on the internet? Pictures of them in the coffin? No. What pictures do they put up? Them in their 20s or their 30s, water skiing, right? <laughs> or hiking up a mountain or holding a baby. Why? They show you that person when they were most alive. Why? Because we love 
life. We all love to be alive, right? And so that's why death is an enemy because death's a taker. It takes from us and gives nothing back. I remember when I was in high school, the first person I really knew that was dying was a friend of mine's mom. And I remember just sitting there and thinking about, can you negotiate? With, like, like, I was literally thinking like, about negotiating. With, what can you do to stop this inevitability? And then you just realize, death, you can't negotiate with it. You, you can't argue with it. You can't say, well, give me a little bit back. I remember when I buried my friend in high school, just sitting there going, I just want one more conversation. I want to see one more breath. I want to hear him laugh again. And death won't let you do that. It just takes. It takes laughter and it takes friendships and it takes meals together. And it takes community. Death's not a friend. It's an enemy. It's a taker. So C.S. Lewis wrote in Pilgrim's Regress, one of his first books, it's an allegory, and a character meets death, and death introduces himself, and he says, don't think you can escape me. Don't think you can call me nothing. To you, I am not nothing. I am the being blindfolded, the losing all power of self-defense, the surrender, not because any terms were offered, but because resistance is gone. The step into the dark, the defeat of all precautions, utter helplessness turned out to utter risk, the final loss of liberty, God's son who feared nothing feared me. Death is an enemy. That's number one. Number two is death is a result. It's a result of disconnection from the source of life. That's what death is. Death comes when we're disconnected from a source of life. That's a fairly obvious point. Like I went the other day to the grocery store with my daughters and we were looking at flowers and I said, they're already dying. And I asked them, do you know why? I said, because, because we severed them from their roots. We took these beautiful flowers that were growing and we cut them off from their roots, from the soil, from the water. And so now they've begun to die. Death comes because of a disconnection from the source of life. That's true for flowers. That's true for us in all different avenues. It's true economically. We experience an economic death in our lives when we're severed from a source of income, right? Cut away from my source, I begin to wither, right? We feel that. It doesn't just happen economically, it happens physically. I hold you underwater too long, you're not gonna make it. Why? Because I've separated you from your source of life, oxygen, right? When we're separated from the source of life, death comes. That's true for flowers, it's true for money, it's true physically, and it's true in an ultimate sense. Death is here in the world because we've been disconnected from our source of life. Paul told the Corinthians that in 1 Corinthians 15, 21. He says, by one man came death into the world. And then he said in the following verse, in Adam all die. And he points us back to the garden, to the first human beings, the first man, the first woman, that when God created them, God took chaos and darkness and spun it into life. And God created life. He created structure where there was flourishing. And God loved it, called it good, 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 blessed it. And then he created this man and this woman made to enjoy God and one another. And God blessed their life. And as God blessed the man and woman and blessed their life, he planted a tree and he called the tree the tree of life. Why? Because 1 Timothy tells us that God alone possesses immortality. Only God lives forever. 
But God, as the source of life, created this instrument, right? And what happened? Adam and Eve were meant to come by faith to this instrument of God's choosing, the tree of life. And as they ate from it, trusting God and his means of life, their life would continue. As they stayed connected to a source of life, they lived. And then God planted another tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave us a real moral choice. And in that, he said, don't eat from this tree. I want you to have communion with me, to follow me, to know me, and I will give you life. Here is a way to separate from me. I don't want you to do this. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not just a tree that if they ate of it, they would get an understanding of what is good and what is evil. They go, oh yeah, so murder is bad. Weird, I didn't know that. Like that wasn't just knowledge of good and evil. The temptation of that tree was the temptation to become the arbiter of what is good and what is evil. That's what Adam and Eve got tempted with by the serpent. He says, you can follow God, but he's put limits on you. Or you can be God, and you get to decide what is good and what is evil. I'll tell you what's right and what's wrong. I get to be the one in control. And when Adam and Eve were presented with the two trees, they said, rather than be connected vitally with God, we are cutting loose and we will be God. And as soon as they cut loose from their maker, what happened? The world that had spun from chaos into life began to devolve again. Now the ground is cursed because of you. Nothing will work right anymore. Now relationships will devolve. You were made from dirt and the breath of God. Now to dirt you'll return. When we severed from God, severing from the source brought death. That horrible decision in the garden launched a million tragedies into our life, right? All of us have sinned. That word means to break away from God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not all what we're meant to be. And Romans 6, 23 says, the wages, the payment of sin is death. Where there is sin, death comes. James said it in James 1, sin gives birth to death. And we see this in places where you've been sinned against where people have decided to be greedy financially, what's happened? It kills communities. You see it in foreign countries, third world countries. You see it in America, where people sin against us economically. It takes away life. When people say hurtful words to you and sin against you socially, it takes away life. When someone murders you and sins against you, they literally take away your life. Sin brings forth death. That's the world we live in. And so we live in a world where, man, we were meant to be connected with God as a source of life, but humanity as a whole has separated, and death is the result. That doesn't mean that when your dad died, it's because he said something mean to a guy in 1953. That's not that directly connected. But all of us are what we are not what we should be. And all of us are in a world now that's broken and hurting and dying. And just to pause on the implications of that, That should make us sad. That should make us sad. I remember it was interesting once, uh, one of the first funerals uh, I was ever a minister over was when I was a college minister. These college students had a friend die and I went to the funeral and I remember that 
They were young guys in their 20s trying to process death, and it was this Christian organization. And so one of the guys was like, well, Jesus be death, and so therefore we shouldn't be sad at funerals. And so the whole time we were at this funeral for their friend, this guy was walking around like, don't cry, man. Don't cry, man. Jesus conquered the grave. You shouldn't be crying. Hey, don't cry right now. This isn't a sad moment. This is a happy moment. And I'm just like, this is bananas. Like, this guy lost it. And so I had to gently minister to these young men and tell them, hey, read the book of Acts. The book of Acts, we get the first Christian who died. The first person who knew Jesus that died was a lady named Tabitha. And when Peter, the apostle, came to visit this little community of believers, they showed up to Peter and they brought the the clothes and the blankets that Tabitha had sewed for them. And it says they they showed Peter the the physical representation of the love of Tabitha and they cried. And Peter didn't rebuke them for that. So it's okay to cry at a funeral. Why? Because you miss them because they're gone. And that's sad. Jesus cried at the grave of Lazarus, right? Which some people could think of as confusing because even if you don't know a lot about Jesus' story, you probably heard the name Lazarus because why? He's the guy that was raised from the dead and Jesus was the guy that raised him. And so Jesus came to his grave to raise him from the dead. But when Jesus got to the grave, he started crying. Which I remember the first time I read that, I'm thinking like what some of you are like, wouldn't you be like, hey, Jesus, like, why are you crying? Like, you're here. Like, you're about to raise him from the dead. Like, why are you sad? Like, you're there knowing I'm going to bring him back to life. And you get there and you start crying. And we get that verse. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's for many of you, like the first or only Bible verse you have memorized. Because you're like, Jesus wept. Nailed it, right? And he got one. And, uh, but you never asked the question, but why? Why is he crying? He's about to raise the guy. You don't cry when you're the guy bringing resurrection power onto the scene, but he did. Why? Because it's not supposed to be this way. Because God created the world because he loved life. He blessed life. And when we took a step away from God, the whole world broke and it's sad. We're not supposed to to get sick. Not supposed, cars aren't supposed to flip over. Fathers aren't supposed to lose sons. Mothers aren't supposed to lose daughters. It's It's not supposed to be like this. We're not supposed to get old. Some of you know what I'm talking about, like that you went to the doctor and you're like, well, this hurts when I did that. And they were like, that's a, that makes sense for your age. And you're like, well, well, that's it? What? Like, no, you're supposed to give me like a pill that makes, it, makes me feel 20 again. And they're like, I'm sorry. Like, you're just slowly dying, right? And you're just like, oh my God, like, I thought I had more time. And uh, it sucks getting old, right? Uh, and you look at that and you go, this is really sad that this hurts. And you know what? It is sad. And it's okay to cry because God didn't make the world to be like this. It's not supposed to be like this. So it's supposed to make us sad. And it's supposed to disturb us, quite frankly. 1 Timothy 15, verse 56, he says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. He says, death makes us sad because we're not supposed to lose friends. We're not supposed to say goodbye. And death scares us. Why? Because the sting of death, what really hurts about death is sin of knowing I'm not okay with God. That's the scariest thing about it. And the power of that stinger is the law. You go, what does that mean? It means we have a sense that there's something we ought to be and we have a sense that we're not it. And that's what disturbs us most about death. 
I've told the story before about my friend in college, Ben, that got struck by lightning. It was a big part of his story of how he came to know God. Some people say that metaphorically, like I was living kind of crazy, and then one day it was like a bolt of lightning. I need to know God. For him, it was not a simile. It was not a metaphor. He was like, I was living crazy. God literally hit me with a literal bolt of lightning. And he said, I remember in that moment, he was on a mountainside, and he got hit by bolts of lightning. And I said, what's the first thought that went through your mind? And he said, the first thought was, I'm dead! About at that volume. He said, and then he said, I just fell over and hit the ground. And he said, I remember hitting the ground and thinking, and I'm not ready. And he's like 20-something. But he said, it just struck me in a moment. I knew the way I was living was crazy. And the thought of life being over, I realized I'm not ready for what's on the other side. I'm not, uh, I'm not what I'm supposed to be. And that's what disturbs us about death. The sting of death is sin, knowing I'm not what I'm supposed to be. And the power of that stinger is the law, knowing that God meant us to be something and I'm not it. That's why death terrifies us. Death is the result of sin and we're all sinners and death is a taker and an enemy and it has us dead to rights. And that's scary. And yet here's the crazy news. Number three, death is an enemy Death is a result. But number three, death is a means to life. It's a means to life. Jesus said it in John chapter 12, verse 24. He says, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's telling the story and he was like, you know how a seed works. If a seed stays by itself, that's it. He said, but if you take a seed and it dies, if it drops into the earth and breaks open, what happens there in the earth? It explodes into life and feeds us. And you go, that's amazing. Does everything do that? I asked my kids that. I'm like, if you, they were asking me, if we plant this acorn, will it become a tree? And I said, maybe, yeah, it can, it's a seed. And I said, what about the car? If we bury the car, will we get a car tree? And they were like, no. And I was like, why not? And they were like, what about this ice cream? If we bury this ice cream, will we get an ice cream tree? And they were like, no. And I said, why not? And I skumped them. I was like, gotcha, four-year-old. <laughs> Dad still has some things to teach you. Why? Why, when you bury ice cream, does it not become an ice cream tree? Because ice cream does not have within it the means to make life. The seed does. The seed contains within itself the power to create life. That's the difference. Death's a means of life. God wove that paradox into creation. You go, why are we talking about that? Because when Jesus told that story, he wasn't just talking about farming. He was talking about himself. That 1 Corinthians 15, Paul told these people who were struggling with life and death, he says, let me deliver to you what is of first importance. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. Death's a taker, death takes life. And then Jesus Christ took our sin and he died 
and he rose. I'm the seed because I have within me the power of life. And when I die, I don't stay in the ground. I come bursting forth with life. So the very taker of your life, the enemy that takes from you, becomes also the means of your redemption. Why? Because someone went to the grave that had within himself the power to create life. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It says that since the children partook in flesh and blood, it's talking about us since we were people. He partook of the same. It's kind of a weird sentence. You go, what does that mean? It means he didn't have to. That when we talk about Jesus Christ, we're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about God chose to become like us, chose to put on skin like us, except for one difference. The Bible calls him he who knew no sin. He said, I will become like you. The Son of God becomes the Son of Man, but I will stay vitally connected with God forever. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. He never sinned. He's known as he who knew no sin. So there's only one person on the planet who didn't deserve death, but Jesus willingly took it. Why? Because he wasn't paying for his sin. He's paying for ours. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he said, since these children partake in flesh and blood, I partook of the same. So through my death, I can destroy the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver those whose fear of death were held in slavery all their lives. How could he do that? You say, how could one man's death forgive all this sin? For me, that's like asking the question of saying, how can one check buy a whole house. How can one little check buy a whole house? You go, well, it depends on whose bank account that check is tied to. You tie it to my bank account, it's probably not buying a house. And the bank would probably figure that out in like a day or two, right? (laughs) But you've got a couple billion in the bank, you can buy neighborhoods, right? How can Jesus' one death forgive all the broken things in all of us? Because you have an infinite source of life, infinite life, infinite perfection takes on death for your sin and mine. And I love the way the book of Acts says it in Acts chapter 2. It says, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He said, Death was the payment for sin, and Jesus had enough in the bank to pay it. And he paid it and cashed death out. And so death couldn't hold him. He says, death, you you covered? Good. Then I'm leaving. And I'm taking everyone with me that believes in my name. He beat death. That's the most amazing message as you face the inevitability of death in the face and realize you can't negotiate it with it. You can't fight it. You find out there's one guy who went to death and came out on the other side because it wasn't possible for death to hold that guy. It's important to know a guy like that. And what I love about this, you read in Revelations 1.17, it says, 
when John sees Jesus, he says, I saw him. I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first. I am the last. I am the living one. I died. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. I love that. Because he says, you know who I am. I was alive and I died and then I was alive. I faced off against death and I won. Nobody does that. And then what I love is he doesn't stop there. He goes, and when I went down there and came back up, I stole his keys. (laughs) So I'm not just the guy that beat death. I jacked his keys so that you want out You come to know me. And that's the fourth point, is that our hope in the face of death rests entirely on that man, what he did. All my hope at the funeral is not in what a nice guy I was or how many people like me. That's a wicker shield against the onslaught of death. But I know a guy, and that guy beat death. One of my favorite book titles ever was by John Owen, who I named my son after. And the title of the book is The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. What a great title for a book. The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. There's no one scarier to us than death. Think about everything you fear. Everything you fear is a little mini-me for death. I'm afraid of financial poverty. Okay, you're afraid of financial death, but you'll still have your family, still have life. I'm afraid of no one liking me. Okay, you're afraid of social death? I get that. I'm afraid of never finding love. Okay, you're afraid of romantic death, a loss of life? Okay, romantic death, economic death, social death. Those are all the little kid brothers of death because the big death takes everything. Big death is Goliath. We tend to tell that story of David and Goliath and we picture ourselves as little David with our slingshot and Goliath is whatever we're afraid of, right? Get rid of that fear of economic poverty. Get rid of that fear of never meeting the one or whatever your fear is. You just, it's a Goliath and you take it out. But the truth is, big death, you don't get to win that fight. He beats you and all your resistance is gone. A better way to see David fighting Goliath is to see our David is Jesus Christ, the son of David. That he faced off against death your big enemy. We're more like the Israelite army that was shaking in their boots. And our little king went forward into the valley of death. And we thought, he's dead. But through his weakness, he beat the giant. And what happened to Israel? It said they shouted the war cry and they ran out in victory. All of our hope relies on that man. We saw him take on our weakness And that cross that was meant to kill became our victory. That's what 1 Corinthians is about. If Christ has not raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. But Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For by a man came death, but by a man comes resurrection from the dead. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
Behold, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. This perishable body must put on imperishable. This mortal body will be clothed in immortality. And when the perishable puts on imperishable, the mortal immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our king who beat death. And so we can shout victory even in the face of death when we know that guy. Who borrows a grave? That's a strange sentence we should never get used to. I joke with friends about that to show them the limits of language. When I want to eat something off their plate like a french fry, I'm like, hey, can I borrow a french fry? And I just see what they say about it. What's the irony of that? You can't borrow it. I guess you can, but you don't actually want it back, right? So you go, no, you, if you take the fry, you're just, you're just taking it, right? You don't borrow the food, right? You don't borrow a grave. If I ask you if I can be buried in your grave, I'm asking you to give me the grave. You don't borrow one. Only Jesus Christ borrows a grave. Hey, can I borrow your grave for a couple days? I'll give it right back. That's weird. There's only one guy who does that. And all my hopes are pinned on that guy because he beat death and he rose. At my dad's funeral, uh, my dad loved um, the 23rd Psalm. He just loved it. And so I was reading it before his funeral, talking about the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside cool waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know that psalm, but it was interesting reading it in the face of death and thinking about the Lord being my shepherd. He's the one who leads me. And we get it. When the Lord's my shepherd, he leads me beside cool waters. He puts me in green pastures. That's what you make the adorable greeting cards out of, right? Little sheep on the pasture, and you're like, that's that's the Lord. He just lead me to that pasture. But did you notice it says, and even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, keep reading. The shepherd leads you there too. No one sends that greeting card. (laughs) Shepherd's got me in the valley, right? (laughs) We don't send that one. But if he's your shepherd, you're going to the valley of death. And I sat there in Beeville, Texas and was like, this is where our shepherd has led us, to the valley of the shadow of death. It's where we are. And then I was arrested by the preposition. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Who gets to say that? Death is typically where all things stop. But not when Jesus Christ is your shepherd. He says, we're going through it because I got a house on the other side. And you say, well, how is that not wishful thinking? You're just hoping that's true because he's already done it before. He's already been that way. 
He was like, oh yeah, I did that once. I went through the valley, popped out and was like, hey guys, is that fish? And ate some and hung out for a couple days and then flew up into heaven. I kind of ran that joint before. So trust me when it's your turn, we're not stopping in the valley of death. We're going through it. So if you're sitting here, let me just encourage you, all of our hope in this room, the reason we sing in this room, we don't sing, oh God, make me a decent person so maybe I'll get some leniency at the end. That's not, no one writes that song. We celebrate a Jesus Christ who when I'm connected to him, he takes me home. So I'm deeply an Aggie fan living in Georgia. (laughs) And the crazy thing about it is Atlanta joined the SEC, so all their away games are like three hours or less from my house. It's like, that's weird. I go to like the same number of games, you know? But when I get there, I'm alone, right? Uh, Because they're all wearing other colors, and they like these other southern teams, right? Uh, Except for the Auburn game, where uh, one of the coaches asked me if I'd come do the chapel for the team. So I said yes. So I showed up at the hotel, and I stayed at the hotel with the team. And then when I was there, he was like, okay, the hotel's like an hour and a half from Auburn. He's like, hey, man, uh, you're with us. He said, you're not just doing the chapel. Like, you're with us. So he said, here's your pass gave me this one put on it to get you in anywhere you want to go in the stadium. Here's your parking pass. And he said, we're about to head out. And he said, here's what's going to happen. The police are going to come. They're going to lead our bus into Auburn. He said, and as soon as the bus pulls out, you just tuck your car in with us between us and the cops and, and we'll lead you on down there. And I was like, I don't know that the police are going to like respect that. You know what I mean? Like it suddenly made me nervous. Like you want me to cut off the cops and act like I'm in the procession? Like I don't think I'm, like I think they're going to know I'm not with the team. I'm like, no, I'm with, uh, you know, farmer's fight. Like I look a little different from the whole room. And, uh, you know, he was like, no, man, you're with us. He's like, so you just roll with us. So I got in my car and the bus pulled out and I cut off the police (laughs) and they just acted like I belong there because I did belong there. Not because of who I was. They didn't ask me, hey, don't don't you every now and again give sermons and whatnot? You should be a part of this. (laughs) No. They said, yo, you're with them, then you can roll. And when I got to the stadium, I go walking in pass. I'm down on the field. I'm talking to quarterback during the game. I'm hanging out with the team in the locker room everywhere. And I'm like, Ben intrinsically doesn't purchase the right to be here, right? They're not like, oh, that guy. Yeah. Lives in Atlanta. Yeah. We should definitely have him in the middle of everything. They didn't respect me. They respected the badge. And I got the badge from Mikado. I'm with him. And so where he goes, I go, and that's the gospel. It's not about what you did or didn't do. It's not about who you think you are or who you're not. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Whoever hears my word believes in me, believes in him who sent me, and you will not come into judgment. You pass through death into life. All of our hope in this place is our connection to that man. Where he goes, I go. And so when I look at the grave, I see some place I'm passing through because he did and I'm with him. And that's my hope for you, the comfort in your life and your comfort in the face of death, that you're vitally connected to the author of life. Let me pray for us.
Father, I just want to thank you that the gospel is not a pump-up speech about how to be more moral people. That's not what we're selling in here. That the world is not what it should be, and we are reminded of that every day as we look on our screens and as we look in the mirror. And there's so much ugliness in the world, and there's so much death. But Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and death need not be the end for us, that we can be victorious over death because of the victory that comes in vital union with him. And God, I just believe there's some people in this room and in these rooms right now that this is the day where they say, I want to be with that man. I want to belong to him. I got no hope in me in the face of death. I got no bargaining power in the face of death, but I want to belong to him. And you cry out to him now, sir. You cry out to him now, lady, and let him know I'm with you. Forgive me, cleanse me, heal me, adopt me, put me on your team, I'm in. And then come tell us as the pastoral team's out back, walk out and tell us he was talking about me. I wanna belong to a Jesus Christ that will lead me through the valley to the other side. And God, I pray for us that know you. What stunned the Roman world was Christians who had hope in the face of sickness and death. What drew them to abandon all the shallow things they were pursuing in the Roman Empire was the display of the weighty hope in the lives of Christians in the face of death. I pray, Lord, that we would not be shaken because we know the author of life and the holder of the keys to death. May we Christians walk with the unshakable confidence that is ours in Jesus, because we know the greatest of all problems have been solved, the greatest of all questions has been answered. We have hope because we know him. May we walk with our heads high because we belong to that man. Thank you, Lord, for victory over the grave. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hello and welcome to Postscript. My name is Adam McIntyre and I'm joined today by Ben Stewart who just preached a sermon on death. Ben, thank you so much for being here. So excited to have you. A lot of questions came in. Obviously, death uh, is something that's on all of our minds, right? Uh, And so the first question was from someone who admits that they are afraid of death, as are we all. Um, And specifically, they they referenced Matthew 7, talking about how how can you possibly know that you won't be one of the ones left saying, Lord, Lord. Um, And he -hmm. says, I never knew you. You know, yeah. how, how can we know, how, how can we have assurance of the resurrection? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, if you, if you look at that passage, the people who Jesus says that to, he doesn't deny they did good works, miracles, sure. cast out demons in his name. So sometimes people read that and go, oh, what do I have to do right. to make sure I get to go to heaven with him? You go, well, these people had done a lot. Yeah 
his criticism was not their lack of good work. He doesn't deny, hey, you even cast out demons, man. Like you did some serious stuff, He's like, but, but I didn't know you. And so the crux of the whole thing is, do you know him? You know, John will say it in First John, he who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have life. At the end of the day, it's what have you done with the son, Jesus Christ? And that's what the sermon's about. Yeah. All my hopes are pinned on his work, not mine. Right. And, and I mean, the, the, the human mind, human soul is a frail thing. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, well, it depends on my level of confidence in a given moment. Well, good luck with that because sure. our level of confidence rises and falls. It's not the strength of our faith that saves us. Mm -hmm. It's the strength of our Savior that saves us. So you're yeah. like, I may at times feel like my faith is small, but is it in the right person? Right. And the Bible is really clear all over it about that when you have him, you know, Jesus said it in Luke 5, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Sure. I mean, he, he wants to put it there and give you confidence in his language that you know me and trust me, you have life. Sure. And so I would say, don't look in yourself and try to say, do I see within me mm -hmm. the right mixture of whatever for assurance? Right. I would say, look at the cross. Right. And do I believe that what he did uh, counted for my sin? That's where your hope's going to be found. That's right. And I, I feel like sometimes we forget or we don't even know how radically abundant God's grace is. Yeah. Um, and we trust in our doubts rather than, like you said, looking at the cross. When a lot of times we look at ourselves for assurance right. and, and too much self-analyzation is going to lead you to despair. That's true of everybody. That's right. you know, Charles Spurgeon said it. If it was on me to preserve my salvation, I'd have lost it by now. Right. He's like, I'm just, I go through seasons of, of I'm a mess. Well, we all are. Yeah. But, but my hope is in him. That's right. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. And for those who are in Christ, we are promised the resurrection, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And so we had a question that came in, though, because obviously there were people around before Jesus. Yeah. Um, and what happens to them? They died before Jesus came, before he resurrected. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens to them since they died before Jesus? Yeah, I mean, that's a longer question, too. But, you know, um, salvation has always been by the grace of God right. through faith in God. It's always been that way. So, like I said, even in the garden with, with Adam, where did he get life? It was by coming by faith to the tree, right. you know? So he had to live by faith yeah. in the grace of God. Yeah. Now it looked different, there wasn't sin, but it was still intimacy with God is always by the grace of God right. through faith in God's instrument. Right. When Adam sinned, you get Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head, that all of our hope is now fixed in a boy. You get that in Genesis 3. Right. And you see it two verses later, Noah's dad says, perhaps my son will give us rest from the curse on the ground. And that's where he got the name Noah, rest. And it's interesting because you go this several generations later, right. where does this guy get the idea that a, a boy will be born that has the power to give us rest from the curse of sin? You know, like he was trusting in Jesus' pronouncement from the garden or God's pronouncement. So, so all through the Bible, the people of God have looked to the kindness of God, not their merit, not their obedience to the law, the kindness of God through faith in God mm -hmm. to provide salvation. Now, they just lacked the level of information we have. Right. One day some will come. Right. They'll look like this lamb that was slain. They'll look like a king. There are things they knew about him. Sure. But um, it was the death of Jesus Christ for sin 
that purchase their forgiveness. Romans 3 is pretty clear on that, right? right? Absolutely. Um, and uh, so it's always by grace, always by faith, always through the finished work of Jesus. Right. It's just how much information was available. Right. And now we're in the age where there's full disclosure. Right. And so we're held accountable to the name, person, work of Jesus Christ. Right. So, so people need to know. Yeah. And so all those people that were a part of Israel before, they had that covenant promise that God made with them. Yeah. And they just hadn't seen it fulfilled yet. Um, yeah. But they, they're still a part of that covenant. That promise still applies to them yeah. as well. By faith. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know. Now, um, another question came in, and this is kind of a tough question. Um, what if we know someone and we are as sure as we can be that that person didn't know Jesus um, and, and they died? Mm -hmm. um, what, what can we say uh, to family members and to to people who knew that person um, yeah. to try to offer some sort of relief or comfort? Yeah, I think uh, that's a hard question. One of the benefits we have is at the end of the day, we don't have to be the one that makes the final call sure. what yeah. they believed or didn't believe when mm -hmm. they died. Yeah. So we don't have to say that person did not have faith in Christ, and therefore, like, I think you qualified or it's like, I have reason to believe they never put their faith in Christ. But, but at the end of the day, you can say, I don't know what was going on there, but I do know that the Bible's really clear. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not, does not have life. And so, if anything, let it propel you into the seriousness of going, we have life. We know Him. We know His name. And I want people to know him. You can't make people believe. You can't, but you can present it. That's why Paul was like, that's why I'm suffering, facing persecution. I'll go through whatever to get this message to people. Why? Because this message matters. Yeah. And so I want my family to know, and I want people to know. And, you know, for me, when I've had family members who are sick, I'm like, well, they never really like to talk about spiritual things, but I'm going to go anyway because yeah. I, they need to know him. And um, so I would say, let that propel you to share the gospel far and wide because this, this message is vital. Absolutely. But when it comes to that loved one, at the end of the day, if you lack any confidence they did anything, you can't look to that moment. Well, I know they prayed once. You can't look to that. Mm -hmm. Then ultimately you just have to say, I trust God with the governing of the universe. Yep. I trust him with them. I trust him to be good. I trust him to be loving, wise, just. I just have to trust him, and and that's really th what you're left with. That's right. And I think that's okay. Yeah, that's what Job had to do, right? He buried his head in the dirt and said, I just have to trust that you're a good God. Yeah, that's yeah. what you have at the end of the day, and that is enough, but that's yeah. hard. It is, absolutely. And um, last question, and there was actually a handful of the same type of question that came in. Yeah. Um, people want to know, after we die... And before the resurrection happens, what happens in that in-between time? Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. That's next week, man. <laughs> Part Great. of it. So come back next week. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, we're going to pick that up. So okay. I'll just leave it right there. Perfect. Yeah. Great. You heard it. You got to be back next week to find out the answer to that question. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being here with us today. And thank yeah. you all for tuning in. And we'll definitely see you all next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org postscript.